Welcome to The Complete Angler, your source of information on the outdoor industry in central Canada. With over 35 years in the field, host Don Lamont covers topics and issues with industry leaders and influencers to bring you up to speed on what's happening in the outdoor world. And now, here's your host, Don Lamont. Hi, I'm Don Lamont. Welcome to The Complete Angler Podcast. Our guest on this episode has been a longtime friend and colleague. I first met him at a fisheries enhancement banquet many years ago, and I knew right away this person was somebody special. Over that time, we have spent countless hours talking, educating, and informing people about fishing and the management of the resource. I had him as a guest on my television show, The Complete Angler, many times, highlighting both his fisheries management expertise and music, Ken Kansas. Well, Ken, uh, welcome to Complete Angler Podcast. Great to hear from you. Thanks, buddy. Glad to be here. So um, let's, uh, like you were started out in the fisheries business in 1979, I understand, as a, a summer student, or was it a, is it a full-time technician? Maybe talk about how you got in the industry. Yeah, you know, I, I never planned it. All I really wanted to do was I wanted to work outside. It really didn't matter what I did, but my brother kind of, uh, he kind of led the way. He, uh, he ended up being a, a, wild, a pretty successful wildlife biologist working with grizzly bears and caribou and that. And I was the fish guy, but I ended up getting a uh, summer job. I, it was a 78 or 79, and I spent the next four summers while I was going to university uh, doing lake inventories and we, um, I must've done 50 to hundred lakes right across Eastern, uh, Northeastern Manitoba and Northern Manitoba. So I got a good, really good start at it. So once you finished university, what happened? Uh, well, back then there was still a, a fair number of dollars invested in fisheries work and a, a, a pretty decent staff size and, they, what they do is they'd hire uh, term technicians. And uh, I think after uh, working those surveys, I worked on uh, maybe some, uh, maybe up in Cross Lake with that Genpeg Dam and that, did some work up there and then uh, uh, ended up in uh, doing some uh, research on the Valley River and the Dauphin Lake tributaries back then, and which led to a lot of uh, uh, habitat restoration work and all that. And uh, yeah, that ended up in Brandon for a year and a half doing regional work and did, uh, I did five years up in uh, Limestone uh, doing the environmental impact uh, on fisheries from the Limestone and proposed Conawapa dams. I think from there, uh, yeah, from there I got on, and I was never on permanent and I finally got a permanent job when I got uh, hired in uh, Robin. And I did 15 years there. And uh, a couple of years after that, I did uh, some work in Lake Winnipeg, Lake Manitoba. And then my final resting spot, so to speak, was uh, I got back to the Eastern region, which is always where I always wanted to go. Cause I, could, I thought I could do the, uh, make the biggest positive impact there. So I did uh, 10 years of working in the white shell and no in that. Well, I've known you probably 30 of those 38 years that you've been working in fisheries. Yeah. Uh, we first met in the early 80s in Swan River for their Swan Valley Sport Fishing Enhancement ba Banquet. 
And I can remember being uh, uh, tremendously impressed with you, Ken, about your passion for the resource and also um, your ability to play bluegrass and, and have a good time. And so, um, so anyway, uh, we became lifelong friends from there on. And I ended up having you on the Complete Angler show a number of times. Um, one of them was uh, on Lake of the Prairies, which, which you managed. And I, I understand that Lake of the Prairies is, has been really coming back this year. Is, uh, it's been a good year for it. Yeah, I still, I, I, I'm kind of out of the loop there, but I still uh, got some good friends that still fish it regular that. Um, I, I hear it's coming back. It, it, it always seems to does. All the right things are there. It just has to get through some of the, uh, some of the real uh, habitat alterations, like being a, being a water control structure, um, experience those crazy, uh, um, you know, sometimes, you know, 15, 16, 17 foot rises and drops and you lose fisheries habitat and sometimes you lose a spawning ear and things like that. But it, when things are going, that, that lake has everything it needs to be successful. And we, we, we saw that over the, you know, I was there from 1990 to 2005 and it, it went from a fishery in trouble to, uh, uh, you know, it seemed like a seemingly a fishery that could withstand almost anything. Uh, due to the slot limit and reduced creel and, and things like that. So, yeah, I, I was, uh, that, that's where I cut my teeth on, on, on fisheries management combined with, uh, with uh, research and uh, I, I had a really great opportunity. I took full advantage of it. So I was doing some research, Ken, um, you write for us at hook magazine over the years, you've done 13 articles for us. And mm -hmm. one of them uh, was about, or two of them actually were about slot size. And that's uh, that's been a kind of an interesting management tool. Yeah, and it was you know it, it was something I, I had no, absolutely no experience in because I like I didn't even I, I didn't even hardly fish uh, probably from the late seventies to uh, until the nineties. Um, so I was uh, I learned how to do both things again, and uh, the, the, what the slot limit did is it allowed. Uh, fish to get into their mature length size and on Lake of the Prairies it was somewhere around 45 centimeters just uh, they, the all the males would be mature and then the females would be mature too so now all they have to do is get through that onslaught of uh, of uh, tons of anglers on that lake both summer and uh, open water and uh, frozen and uh, and get into that uh, escape what we call escape into that slot so where they're free to they're free to spawn uh year after year after year and and really what you want in a really harvest-based sport fishery like that is you want people to harvest those smaller fish it, uh, and for some people over the years that didn't sound right but uh, uh and that was another part of my job was to make sure people in the area and people all over actually knew what was happening on that lake knew how the slot limit worked and show them uh, you know, hard data to show that, yeah, the fishery is coming back and it'll stay good. So when I talked to you at length, when you were out there at Lake of the Prairies and we fished together and, and we exchanged ideas, I met this crazy guy out there that uh, was really trying to, his name was Bob Sheedy, that was really trying to promote fly fishing and, and, and get more stocked water in that region because uh, in the Parkland, there's some great lakes that are a, 
or abundant with food like scuds and so on and so forth. And you're at your time there, you all of a sudden, your ears picked up and you said, maybe I should, should look into this. Talk a little bit about the story about how the parkland became such a great trout fishery. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With Bob Sheedy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I met him. Uh, I met him and he, he was talking about, uh, you know, these really fast growth rates, especially for the our, our, uh, rainbow stock waters and, uh, and brown truck, brown trout and combo lakes. He had an interesting proposal and, uh, it, it, it just, uh, it just felt right to me. And, and I always thought that, uh, basically, uh, the trout stocking program in the Western region, uh, perhaps, you know, the whole province at the time, it was just a matter of how, how many are we going to put in here? Well, let's put 10,000 in there. And then they drive them in and dump them off and drive away. And you never really knew what was going on. So I, I kind of, the same approach I took with Lake of the Prairies to, to, to getting to know the fishery and, and the fishers as well. Uh, I, uh, I did that with uh, this flipper program and basically uh, brought Bob Sopuck into the mix because he's a fly fisher and he lived in the parkland. And me and the two Bobs basically uh, uh, built the program and, and, and just went from uh, small uh, town to town to town to town and met their local governments and just uh, pitched this idea that this flipper program, which is the name of Wally Melnick uh, from Russell came up with, it's Fisheries Lake Improvement for the Parkland Region, um, uh, pitched this idea to the local governments because we knew, or I knew for sure, that they would probably... Uh, have to assume the costs of a lot of this stuff like uh, aeration maintenance and uh, operation and things like that. So it, it really took off. There was a lot of work and a lot of people, even in my, uh, in my business kind of went, ah, you're wasting your time. But I mean, it was, you know, three or four years later after we uh, developed some new lakes, I developed a sampling program to, to see what lakes would work and what lakes wouldn't. Uh, within four or five years, we had the first ever national fly fishing championships in the Parkland region. So it was awesome. It was awesome. And I think uh, over all the years and all the work that you've done, Ken, and all the different bodies of water that you've seen and all the work, like I said, that you've, you've put in, that's one of your greatest achievements because a flipper has been a, a, a just an outstanding success story. Now there's been highs and lows. There's been, you know, foreign introduction, there's been winter kill, there's uh, you know, introduction of pike and, and, you know, various things that have happened along the way, but it's still a world-class fishery. Yeah. And it does, it does have its problems and, and, uh, you know, part and parcel to the, to the program working was, uh, uh, keeping on these lakes, doing the monitoring and everything else. And sadly that took a downturn after I left, but, uh, the good people uh, like guys like Ray Fry and uh, uh, many, many people uh, kept going and kept going and kept going. And actually, when I moved out this way, I, uh, I wasn't a director. I was more like a, uh, uh, like a fisheries guy, like, like a consultant. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it, uh, it's, it's had some problems over the last few years, like you say, like uh, with nat or, uh, native species reintroductions, whether it's from high flows and things like that. So 
they've done a bit more work. They're trying to bring Spear Lake back. The people in the Russell uh, district are trying to bring Spear Lake back and had a huge uh, uh, soccer uh, removal program there. And th things are happening. Uh, some of the Duck Mountain lakes are being utilized a little bit more than they were. Like Beautiful Lake's going to be good. This, it's already good right now. They got Lori Lake and Gull Lake and West Blue for Brookies and uh, and the beauty of the, the whole flipper thing was to have a number of quality lakes, uh, knowing that, let's say just for an example, I'll use the number 10, you had 10 really good lakes, knowing that there was going to be one or two or three or four that were off for a number of years, maybe a year or two years or whatever. So there's always more lakes to go to. So there's always, you know, if, uh, if the tiger trout fishery at Twin Lake was in problems, you could go down the road and fish Percy or go up into the ducks or go south of Russell and places like that. So that, that was uh, one of the really good ideas we had in that is like uh, lots of lakes, lots of choices, big fish. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, it's it's really paid off, but it is hard work. Speaking of hard wor work, how about that Swan Valley Enhancement Group and all the all the time and effort they've put in over the years? Yeah, actually, you know what, that crew... Uh, Holly and Brock and that, um, they uh, probably do more actual field fisheries work than <laughs> most fisheries people with the government. Not all, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, but they, they, they do a lot of work and they work directly in, in conjunction with the local, uh, with the regional fisheries out that way. And uh, uh, really help out with the monitoring of fisheries and all that. That's not all they do. They really get into fisheries education and uh and things like that but yeah swan valley was uh was an eye-opener for me when i uh moved to that area when i remember that uh banquet we met at back in the early 90s mm -hmm. uh, that was the first one i went to and i was pretty impressed i mean they raised an incredible amount of money uh, with their banquet and everything else so yeah they they were a blessing to the and still are a blessing to that region well you mentioned education and Swan Valley hired me uh, many times to go and, and speak to all the different schools in the region. And I managed to drag you along on more than one occasion. And the reason I would drag you along was because you're a pretty darn good musician and you play the guitar, you're a great bluegrass player. And I understand you, uh, Ken, you just released uh, an album recently. Yeah, it wasn't that recent. I believe it was uh, two September's ago. It's my third CD. I did uh, I did one every three years over nine years, and uh, yeah, I just love music. And it's not a believe me, I don't make any money at it. I just uh, I just love it. And you're very good at it too. So uh, so if people want to find your music, where do they find it, Ken? Uh, they can sample it on YouTube. I think all three albums. It's under the Kent, Kansas and the Roaring River Rangers. School of Roaring River actually is in the Swan River area. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think almost all the songs are on there. Uh, I've got an account with them, and uh, and all the like uh, like iTunes and uh, maybe Spotify. And there's about twenty other uh, uh, outfits like that that. That sell my uh, my CDs digitally. Yeah, and I I, I really recommend our listeners uh, to look you up if you like a little bit of bluegrass and some just down home country uh, down home music. It's uh, it's it's special, and it's um, I want to tell the uh, I want to tell the listeners that 
that song that I got so many requests about, the big one that got away that closed my complete angler television fishing show, was composed and performed by no no other than you, Ken. Yeah, me and uh, who who else? Uh, me and Robbie Cheswick and uh, Ray Drain and uh, Conrad Grexon. We put that together in Ray Drain's little farm just outside of Southport, and that was actually uh, you had asked me to supply uh, some bluegrass uh, uh, to that first show we did on Steep Rock Lake. Right. So we went to the farm, we recorded a bunch, and then we kind of were finished. And I, uh, uh, the guy that was operating the recording equipment, I didn't know how to use it. He showed me how to use it. And then uh, I said, well, just in case we think of something else. And I kind of wrote that uh, while I was singing it. And I didn't really like it, to tell you the truth. But it ended up on the cassette, cassette, eh? the cassette tape I sent you. And uh, you actually use it. So it's kind of cool. Can you uh, can you sing a couple uh, uh, verses of it? No, of it? you know what I just said. We just had a bad practice in the weekend, and my 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 hands are a mess. So, okay, I, I'm not going to acapella it. Not in the morning. That's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> I might scare scare my cat out the window. Okay, yeah. Well, it, it was pretty special. Speaking of Steep Rock Lake and that show, um, I had to. Uh, we were trying to catch these uh, whitefish. Like not a lot at that time, Ken, correct me if I'm wrong, but had been done on how to catch uh, whitefish in open water. And Steep Rock had a really great population of them. And we ended up there and we did, we did catch some. And you offered to cook some whitefish at lunch over the open fire. What happened? <laughs> well, I, I thought it would be a great idea, but it turns out we only had about 20 minutes on shore until we have to go out again. So I really gave it the fire to it and it pr pretty much burned everything up. But whatever I put on the inside, I think we gobbled that up and the fish was raw. So it really didn't matter. We were having too much fun. We didn't like to waste them like that, but uh, I'm sure uh, some other animals came around and ate them up. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we ate the uh, the cooked uh, oranges and, and onions it, and it was, a, it was a great day on the water. That's a, That whole Porcupine Hills is, um, some really interesting country, is it not? Yeah, it's, 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 uh, well, it's the same kind of formation as the old uh, beach ridges of, of uh, old Lake Agassiz from millions of years ago. Um, but it's totally different than the Duck Mountains. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's had some more recent fires through it, uh, the lakes are different, but uh, there's a lot of good stock trout waters in there. There's a uh, great pike lakes. There's some uh, 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 steep rock lake. That not only is a great whitefish fishery, but uh, the walleye in there are incredible. I mean, you can, I mean, we radio tag numerous fish over 28, 29, 30 inches in that lake. And Swan Valley Sport Fishing has done some uh, great work in there. They kind of adopted my uh, uh, no-kill uh sampling program to replace uh, killing fish with gill nets to sample lakes mm -hmm. uh, developed it in the eastern region here and uh, the Swan Valley group really uh, thought it would be a great idea so I went out that way and taught them how to do it there too along with uh, some of the fry marking programs and that so it's been a lot of great work done on these lakes. Let's talk about that uh, electroshock boat that you, you did receive through funding originally from Fish Futures and then got transferred over to the federal government. Is that part of 
the process where the, the shock and so there's there is no no gill netting yeah and uh you know unfortunately not every uh, too many other uh, regions that uh, uh, took hold to it uh, you know it may not have been applicable but to some of the regions but uh yeah basically uh I, like i was sick of killing fish um and and we need a we needed a way to uh a sample, especially on the southern lakes where there's way more pressure on these fisheries. So a, a combination of a, a boat electrofishing and, and uh, live trapping uh, uh, more than made up for the for the the data collected through uh, uh, kill or, uh, I call it kill netting, but gill netting. Yeah. You know, we catch way more fish, way more species. You know, it, it was a shallow water tool, so we shocked at night. We ran our trap nets out from shore and. Uh, it was just, it's just a, a, a better way to look at uh, these fisheries when it comes to monitoring when, you know, when your mortality rates probably, you know, less than 1% totally. Right. And uh, you get, you get, uh, you, you get, you catch more adult fish, you catch more juvenile fish, you catch more uh, 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 zero plus or yearling fish. You see, you see, you get a good idea what's going on with the forage base because they're coming in under the uh, tighter to shore. And the only thing you really miss is, let's say, a species like whitefish and tulipy. You do catch them depending on time of the year, but they're more of a pelagic species and they're out in the main basin and that. Right. But, uh, we learned a lot of great things from that in our OTC marking program for the fry in the eastern region and really uh, helped us. Uh, adjust uh, stocking rates some lakes we just went you know it's been a waste stocking like a, a lake like big white shell lake you know that was stocked every year and uh you know it just simply didn't need it you know uh, it, it turned out really good i don't know what's up with it now but uh, it really worked for us what did you call that boat i think we call it old silver old silver <laughs> that's it i remember i spent a night on that boat with you and uh, it, it was funny. Um, there was three of us. Doug, uh, Doug was there as well. Oh yeah, and Lac de Bonnie. I remember that. Yeah, and we turned the, the electroshocker on, and the first thing we got was a thirty-pound pike come to the surface. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, wasn't that neat? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was really true because uh, as as it went on in the evening, and we got in the shallower water, it was all really uh, a lot of smaller fish, like you just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Uh, we had someone else on the boat too. I can't remember. It was a fish it was, futures. It was guy. your friend Doug. No, another fish futures guy. Oh yeah, David Carrick. Ah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, David Carrick. Yeah, that was a that was a great evening. Now, you said one of the reasons uh, that you decided to take the job as the Eastern Region biologist was you thought you could do the most work. Was it sturgeon related or was there more to that? No, uh, see, I was going from uh, uh, Lake Winnipeg and Lake Manitoba. Uh, I went from that to, and Red River to uh, to the Eastern region. And, and like I'm, uh, my expertise lied, lies with uh, uh, sport fishing, habitat work and uh, small lakes and rivers. Okay. And, uh, I've always wanted to go back and had the opportunity and we refilled the a do, our, uh, Lake Winnipeg position and everything's going okay there. Yeah. I think you probably know more than me now, but uh, 
I just thought with my, uh, uh, I guess I could say talents or my knowledge base, my specialties, I thought I could really uh, make a difference in the Eastern region um, in terms of uh, getting to know the lakes, uh, uh, you know, develop that sampling program, uh, uh, find uh, really understanding our uh, stocking program and uh, wh where we get the fish and how we stock them and, and things like that. So it, it was just, it was, it was a perfect fit for me. And that region also gets probably the most angling pressure by far than any other region in the province. Yeah. Proximity to Winnipeg. Yeah. So tell me how the Lake Sturgeon are doing and all your, all your recent work with them. Oh yeah. I, I originally worked with Sturgeon. It was one of the key species uh, uh, we keyed on besides uh, brook trout, sea run brook trout up on the Nelson river. When we did that limestone, the hydro dam work, did that worked on them for five years and we came to the west or the eastern region um uh there was an active uh or there used to be a lot of work done on uh, on sturgeon in the winnipeg river and uh you know uh there was a conservation closure and uh there's this uh a tagging program that that was kind of done over a few years it it, it turned out uh wasn't the greatest out of CU, so I, I, I re-chiseled uh, re that program, and uh, and uh, we ended up doing uh, uh, extensive work a month uh, each spring, uh, tagging and, and other work on uh, Nudimic and the Mayo portions of the Winnipeg River, right, and also from Seven Sisters to MacArthur Falls, uh, Hydro uh, ended up hiring uh, consultants to do work downstream from there. We also did uh, establish some work from Pointe du Bois up to uh, Ontario. And what we found, uh, two interest, uh, there's tons of interesting things, but uh, the, the fishery, uh, Nudimic and the Mayo area, and really it, it, it trickles down right through the Seven Sisters and, and slowly locked Bonnie and all that. Uh, the, the sturgeon fishery was really, really pounding out good year class after good year class after good year class after good year class. And we were catching more juvenile fish. And, uh, uh, you know what? Just showed that a fisheries that wasn't, you know, overexploited and had the, had the habitat, uh, you know, both for spawning and for uh, uh, young fry feeding and small fish feeding and all that kind of stuff uh they they do really well there's all kinds of uh, master's programs uh or master's theses uh, that were uh, that completed on that on those stretches of river and it was cool also uh when we did the uh the work from point de bois up to the ontario border you know really i mean in terms of catch uh, uh, uh we actually use nets which are with a really low mortality rate like less than two or three percent, um, because they're really hardy fish. Um, that 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 area had you know, like from Ontario back to Point de Bois, very few sturgeon in it. And uh, and the, the and the theory we came up with there is that probably uh, Lamprey Falls used to be a bit of a an obstruction mm -hmm. uh, before uh, Point de Bois was put in. And now there's free movement, you know, you know, pretty much in any time of year in any kind of water scenario. And they could, you know, 
swim all the way up through to Ontario. So, you know, you learn, you learn stuff when you, when you get your hands wet, put your hands in the water, you, uh, you learn stuff and you can use that and apply it to the management of fishery. Well, let's talk about that. That's been the biggest challenge the last 20 years is, as boots on the ground um, because of the dramatic cuts in fisheries um, budgets. And um, I think finally, through work of the people like yourselves, and I had Paul Conchat on the show um, last, last week, and he, he talks about all the work that people have been put in to encourage governments and everybody else to it is a renewable resource. We have to understand more about how we can manage our fisheries and when they're in trouble, how to, how to get them back into shape. But I, I really think finally we're starting to turn the corner. In what respect do you think we're like applying that knowledge and maybe? Well, we're replacing biologists again, I understand, which was great. Hopefully they'll fill your position again in the Eastern region. Um, there's, you know, I, I think, uh, the Fisheries and Wildlife Enhancement Fund with now a trust fund has been a good step in the right direction. I, I see some positive signs. I know both you and I have talked about it with COVID and the fact that everybody's spending more time at home and, and fishing in this province, there is going to be even more demand on our fishing resource, is there not? Oh yeah, we can see that, uh, you know, damn near out my back door. Um, the pressure we'll, we'll see we'll see how well we designed our management regulations and see if they can handle you know in the prime areas like uh we'll see what what the fisheries can handle um and see if these regulations that are currently in place do their job i think they will um but i i i'd hazard a guess that that fishing pressure would be up 25 to 50 percent maybe I'm just kind of guessing just from what I see driving down the road. I would agree with uh, that's that. Gonna be, it's going to be interesting. Um, I think, you know, things like the slot limit, reduced creel and things like that, you know, uh, uh, we're designed for even more pressure uh, uh, lakes, uh, you know, than we've had in the past. Um, look at Lake of the Prairies. Uh, when that fishery is on, which it was, you know, 10 out of the 15 years I was there, it's an incredible amount of fishing pressure. I mean, you know, a couple of hundred thousand pounds of uh, a walleye harvested in, the, in an open water season, you know, you think how much more it might happen uh, when more people are on, on the landscape fishing. So we'll see. And, uh, you know, we're going to need more work. We just can't, you know, you just can't make regulations and then just sit there and wait for them to work you know there's always there's always something to do there's always things to tweak you got to know your fisheries if you don't know your fisheries as far as i'm concerned you don't know shit <laughs> as a biologist yeah well said well said what what are some of the highlights can over your years well like one or two that really stand out that you're most proud of the work that you've done um i think just adapting to the situation i think the uh the, the, the non-lethal sampling program that I designed and, and you know, brought to fruition and, and utilized and passed on uh, that. But I think uh, the thing I'm most happy with is, is, uh, is all the people that 
I, I've mentored and uh, worked for me over the years. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was, uh, you know, 15, 20 people that ended up in the business in one way or another. And, uh, you know, uh, the great summers we had, I, you know, I, I always, I always said, uh, we're going to work hard. And, uh, if you're going to love me, you're going to want, you're going to have to hate me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Well, you certainly, uh, you carry your passion for the resource, which that was the first thing that struck me. Like I said, when I first met you was that you, um, you cared, you work hard, you're innovative. Uh, you're not afraid to speak your mind. Um, you're not a yes man. And, uh, you've been, uh, a true, uh, pioneer in this province in, in fisheries resource work. So, Having said that, let's tell people that uh, you can read all about Ken's opinions on the fishing and slot sizes, uh, white shell fish hatchery and stuff on hookedmagazine.ca. You just go on there and you search Ken Kansas and you'll find a, more than a dozen articles that he's penned over the years. Uh, again, where can they find you, your music, Ken? It's on YouTube. So it's Ken and Kansas it and the... Uh, Ken Kansas and the Roaring River Rangers. The last album was called uh, Ragged Poetry. And okay. I'd like to say, Don, uh, I'd like to thank you for all the great work you've done over the years. You've been, uh, you know, an innovator and uh, worked hard and done tons of great work. So thank you for that. Well, Ken, uh, it's great to have you on the show. If we have you on the sh uh, this podcast again, um, I'm going to get it, you in the early evening, late afternoon, so you can play some music for us. Well, I got a voice. <laughs> is that, is that, can we agree on that? Sure, certainly, man. Okay, Ken. Thanks for all you've done. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, bud. Take care. Okay. Thanks for tuning in. Visit hookedmagazine.com to subscribe to The Complete Angler and never miss an episode.